All right, well, as we get uh, cooking today, I uh, want to just highlight before we have uh, one, of the, one of our fine readers come up today, uh, before that happens, oh, no, Lauren, you don't get to. We get one of our kids today. So one of our Polakevich girls is uh, on task, I think. And I can't remember if it's Annie or Dylan that's doing it. Dylan, all right, very good. Uh, so um, she can either be back there or come up here, but I do want to mention one thing uh, that when we're talking about Halloween next week, here's the deal. Uh, one way or another, you're going to be wearing a costume next week, one way or another. I guarantee you, uh, unless you're really grumpy, <laughs> one way or another, you're going to be wearing something next week uh, because we've got a secret plan uh, to make sure that happens. But if you have your own costume uh, that you want to wear, you are certainly welcome to do that because there will be prizes, okay? I can't guarantee you uh, that your costume will be good enough to warrant a prize. If your costume sucks, there may not be a prize for you, but <laughs> there's a pretty good chance that if you uh, put a little effort into it, uh, we'll give you something for your good effort. And then the other thing is an interesting conference on sexuality. So a new friend of mine uh, who planted the church uh, in suburban Kansas City, he's putting this on. I met him at uh, the Open and Relational Theology Conference uh, in the Grand Tetons in July. And it's a very interesting conference. Uh, it's something you can't get on YouTube. Uh, you can't find it anywhere. Uh, it happened over the course of a weekend. It's four sessions, each are about an hour long. They're very different from each other. A um, couple of them are extremely dense theologically, like goes to places that are just really mind-blowing, that are fascinating. So we'll get to those like in week three and four. Uh, the first couple weeks are a little bit more practical. Uh, the first person that's on there or that's going to be featured is a woman who wrote a book on the purity culture. Now, some of you may be totally blank on what in the heck is the purity culture. Well, in the 1980s in evangelical America, there was a purity movement where uh, great strides were made to get teenagers to take a vow of purity and even get purity rings, basically to say we're not going to do sex until we're married. And while their intention may have been good, um, there were a lot of unintended consequences which crept up and caused an enormous amount of damage uh, among those youth uh, who were a part of that culture about what it inferred about sexuality, what it uh, inferred about uh, what if you weren't able to maintain uh, purity and all that stuff. So anyway, this woman wrote a book about it, about her own experience, but then also what she's seen nationwide in case studies and all that. Um, the first two especially, I think all four are interesting for everybody, but if you're a parent or know a parent uh, that is going to be at one point talking to kids about human sexuality on any level or your grandkids or whatever, I think you'll enjoy it. I think it'll be dense, but I think you'll enjoy it. I'm doing it at 12 and at 7, um, and I think it's worth coming to. Uh, each one's a little different. It gets progressively uh, challenging as you go. Uh, the second week, we hear from an African-American woman from her experience in the Christian church uh, growing up, and it was very different uh, for her uh, than the first person that we hear. And then we get into a couple theologians at the end. Uh, both from Southern California, oh no, one from Southern California, the other is a Catholic priest uh, who has really fascinating insight on a very deep theological plane. So uh, anyway, then we'll have some Q&A afterwards if you want and just talk about what, what was there for that. So that's 
12 o'clock on Wednesday or 7 o'clock on Wednesday. Uh, the 12 o'clock on Wednesday, they have the option with this Praxis group that if they don't want to do what I'm doing on Wednesday night, we can just do what we normally do. Uh, so it may not always be at Wednesday at 12, but for sure, the next four Wednesdays at 7 o'clock, it's really good. And I was thinking like teens, um, it's not bad uh, for them to hear this. In fact, it would, uh, some of it would really blow their minds and get them thinking about it because we as a country and we as families do, and the church does a terrible job in general about talking about healthy human sexuality, this very broad topic. We're terrible about it. We deny it. We forget about it. We hope somebody else will do it. And then we get mad when they do do it <laughs> because they do it wrong, but we're not doing it right. And so all this stuff, is just one big mess. So this little mini conference is just a way I'm trying to get the conversation out there to get us talking and in healthy ways about things. So anyway, please come to that. And if you're a parent in particular, I have a couple copies of a book that will be actually truly helpful for you and your parenting that is specifically about how do you talk to kids about uh, human sexuality based on their stage and, and all this is what makes sense. So that's, that's coming up. Okay. All right. Dylan, I think you're up. Come on down, Dylan. Well, you can read it wherever you want. You can go out in the rain and read it if you want. <laughs> um, Stand in the light. <laughs> um, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through the mic. A 352. <laughs> they came to Jericho, and he has his disciples, and a large crowd were leaving Jericho. Um, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting on the roadside when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. He began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called, and they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on, his, on the way. Well done. Let's give it up. Good job, Dylan. You did great. All right. So, six verses. Started Monday uh, thinking about what I wanted to say today. And I was feeling pretty good already about, um, you know, what I was going to bring to you this morning. And then the more I sat with it, the more I looked ahead at what the lectionary was going to bring us, I made an executive decision. This thing has so much to offer us. These six verses have so much to offer us. We're actually going to spend the next three weeks talking about just this passage because there's so much here. So I'm going to give you an overview uh, today, and you're, you'll start to get a feel for why I think we can stretch this thing out. Uh, so we're going to hang out with this. There are some really, really culturally relevant uh, issues at work uh, in this passage uh, that we're going to see a major crossover. Even today, you're going to see it right away. But then each week, we're going to go deeper and deeper into each category, one category at a time. So 
Uh, today, I'm going to give you the whole thing, but next week, we're going to go very deep uh, onto blindness and blind Bartimaeus, and then the next week, the many, and then the next week, uh, Jesus Christ and the disciples, and you and me and me. You and me and we, that's what I meant to say, yeah. So that's what's coming uh, in the next few weeks, and I'm excited about it. Usually when I'm excited about it, um, it doesn't mean you'll be excited about it, but it usually means you won't be bored because I'm usually excited about it, so that's, that's a positive thing. So let's just talk about what's going on here, and let me just point out a couple nerdy things that we really wouldn't notice apart from um, deeper study and the help of some academics who notice things that are going on. So this ends a big chunk in the Gospel of Mark, uh, where we're learning a lot about Jesus' ministry, his teaching, and what he's doing. So throughout this big section, Jesus is particularly interested in healing people, and most of the time, the healing is focused on vulnerable people, people that the rest of the culture uh, can very easily trample on and step on. And this is a big, big theme uh, for God throughout the whole Bible, uh, that God tends to favor the vulnerable because no one else does and because they're human. And so we end this section, and interestingly, we, we end with Jesus healing a blind guy. Well, guess what? This section of Mark began with Jesus healing blindness, which is no accident. Mark and his community and they're writing this are wanting to see this thing as one whole. And then there's another weird thing that happens here. The next thing that's going to happen is Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem, and it's going to be his last week of life. This is also why I didn't like the lectionary from about this point through Christmas. I don't like how the lectionary is laid out. It was made hundreds of years ago, and they didn't know anything about American culture, how we think. So they fast-forwarded to Palm Sunday next week, which doesn't make any sense. So that's another, reasons why, another reason why I, I wanted to spend some time on this. But he goes to Jerusalem from a certain place, and that certain place is Jericho. And that's very curious. He didn't really need to go to Jericho. Why did he go to Jericho? Why is he in Jericho? Was it because it's kind of close to the Dead Sea, and the salt content of the Dead Sea is really good for your skin? Did he go get a salt scrub at a nearby spa? Was that, you know, get ready for, for the big showdown? Probably not. Uh, so what, what's he doing there? Well, Mark knows as a Jewish uh, writer and a Jewish community um, that he's trying to not just give us a biography of Jesus, not just trying to give us the bullet list of all the things that Jesus did and said. He's trying to tell a story, trying to craft a bigger picture for anybody who reads it with understanding about what else is going on here. The people of Israel, uh, after they were in bondage in Egypt, they came back to the promised land after a lot of wandering in the desert, and the place that they crossed the river to get back uh, into the promised land or to enter the promised land was very near Jericho. Jericho was the town that needed to be taken, defeated, in order for Israel to move forward. So here we have Jesus going down the riverside, and he comes up and in through Jericho. This is on purpose. Whether or not it actually happened exactly like this, the reason for it showing up like this is very purposeful. It's so that we identify Jesus with Israel itself, that he is repeating the story of Israel in his own life. 
You see this happen in the Gospel of Matthew, by the way, uh, but, but Matthew does it in the birth narrative, right? So in Matthew's birth narrative, what happens? Uh, when he's a little toddler, word gets, to, uh, uh, word gets to the authorities where Jesus is. He's in Bethlehem, and Jesus and Mary and Joseph have to skedaddle. Where do they go? Egypt, to wait until uh, the ruler is dead so that they can come back in. People will go away to Israel or go, go from Israel to Egypt and back. Anybody reading that with any Jewish sensibility would say, oh, well, that's what happened to Israel. So that's an extra little nerdy note uh, for you today to impress your Bible study friends. <laughs> we see more going on here than just the story. But the story is very profound. It's very profound. We don't know how long Jesus was in Jericho. We don't know if he hung out for a couple of weeks or a couple of days. But we know that by this time, especially, he was renowned uh, for his teaching, for his healing, for his presence, whatever he did. People wanted to know what he was doing and were curious about what he was doing. And in this particular town, which was a significant town, it was a massive trading town, uh, there was this guy, Bartimaeus. And the text kind of is redundant uh, for us English folk because it says Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Well, Bartimaeus literally means son of Timaeus, bar Timaeus. Bar in Jewish language means son. So you have son of Timaeus, son of Timaeus. <laughs> That's kind of what it's saying uh, in the original language. And we don't, know, um, we don't know how long he was blind. Uh, we don't know if he was born blind. That's possible. Uh, we don't know if maybe when he was a little kid, he contracted some kind of virus, which then eventually caused blindness. Uh, we don't know if he had some kind of an accident. We don't know if he had a detached retina, which was, you know, the end of your vision back in those days. We have no idea. What we do know is Bart was blind. And what we know about the theology of antiquity is that blindness and God's judgment were very closely aligned. If you were born blind, it was assumed that your parents had sinned somehow, or maybe the grandparents did, or maybe even the kid did in utero. There's some evidence of even thinking that way. People would see somebody who was born a certain way with a certain condition, a certain challenge, and assume that that's exactly what God intended for them. And if it was a bad thing, or quote-unquote bad thing, then we would assume that that thing was caused by God as judgment for sin a very human reaction. Still happens today. Even, even if we know, as much as we know about science and how things come to be, even with all of that, uh, when children especially uh, face difficulty, I don't know if it could be a physical thing, it could be mental illness, could be what have you. Um, if they're, if they're facing an especially difficult challenge compared to the rest of the culture, those parents are asking why. And they're not asking why to a wall. They're asking why to God. Why is my child inflicted with this? Is it something I did as a parent? These are the questions parents ask. And I know it because I've helped parents think it through. Because what else are we going to do? It's not a new problem. Uh, the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. It's poetry, uh, but it is all about how do we understand suffering and God's role in suffering? How do we make sense of it? If God is in control and, that's, and we understand control, 
meaning that God is in charge of all the chess pieces on the board, uh, then when pain and suffering happen, especially when it's the people that we love, um, how, how do we get our brains around it? The whole thing is this, this interchange, this dialogue between Job and his good friends, and it's all theological discussion. And usually it comes down to, well, you must have done something, Job, because God is clearly, you know, letting you have it. And Job again and again and again just says, no, this isn't caused by my sin. I'm sure I didn't, I'm sure I didn't cause this. What could I have possibly done that would cause me to lose absolutely everything that I love and cherish? This does not make any sense. He holds on to that, which is really quite remarkable because everybody else in the world is saying, no, you're in denial, man. We all do this. We all wonder uh, why these things happen. Even if we know scientifically, even if we know intellectually, uh, the answer to those questions, we still have these deep questions and they're theological and they're deeply emotional. Uh, spoiler, I don't think God caused your kids' problems. And I don't think it was a sign of God's wrath or condemnation or your sin. I don't think that's how it works. I think there's a much broader way to understand God's work in creation that once we understand that and God's love for all creation, God's work in all creation, we understand that there's going to be room for, for challenges like this and difficulties and people you know, coming out of the womb and with different capabilities and so forth not a God's fault kind of thing, not a God's control kind of thing. And I, for some of us, we can't hear that enough. That's a story for another day. That's a story for January because we have a whole month where we're going to go deep weeds theology on open and relational theology, which I think will be really helpful for all of us. But here you have Bart, blind Bart. And for however long, uh, he's been begging uh, at the city gate outside of Jericho. Why is he begging? That's the only way he's going to live. He's got no other option. Uh, there weren't social services that were going to, you know, help use their skills or teach them how to do stuff. It, that just didn't happen. That wasn't there yet. And why was he at the city gate? Because that's where the action was. That's where things were traded. That's where the new people were coming in. That's where he could, you know, catch people as they're coming in and catch them as they're going out to get his food for the day. He'd been told for as long as he was blind, which could have been all his life, um, that his blindness was caused by God and that he was a living example of God's judgment. If anybody wanted a cautionary tale on get your life right or else, they would just bring up blind Bart because in their theology, he was a living example of condemnation. What do you imagine that does to a person? What do you imagine that does if... A significant, if not all of your life, you are known more by your label than your person. How does that begin to mess with how you think about yourself and your place in the world? How does that mess with your view of God, your view of other people, your relationship to other people, how you feel about yourself? Uh, it's awful. <laughs> How could it be anything less than awful? We're going to go a lot more into Bart uh, next week, but I'll, I'll finish his little part with one last thing. It wasn't easy being Bart. And my hunch is that he lost hope along with his vision over a long time. There's a weird thing about 
blindness. I don't know if this is all blindness, but I was listening to a thing many years ago, a documentary uh, that, that chronicled a guy who uh, caught uh, some kind of virus that was going to take his vision and he knew it. And so he had some people walk with him and interview him at every step of the way from diagnosis to uh, blindness and then, you know, months and years beyond that. And in his experience, not only did he lose his vision uh, progressively, where it finally faded to black and he couldn't see anything, no light, no nothing, just utter deep cave darkness. But he said that over time, his memory of what he used to be able to see also faded. He couldn't remember colors anymore. Couldn't remember what a tree looked like anymore. Had trouble remembering his, how his loved ones looked. Can you imagine? I wonder what it was like for Bart. How much did he lose when he lost his sight? Again, next week, we'll go even deeper into blindness. Because I think we've all felt like Bart at one time or another. And one time or another. Where we've been treated more as our label than our person. Where we've been categorized We've been pigeonholed. This is who you are. This is who you shall ever be. And we're never given a chance to be more. We're never actually given a chance to be who we are. And part of the reason why is the next character set. The many, the crowd, the people that are following Jesus out of Jericho, who are Jerichoans. I guess they're Jerichoans. They may be Jerichoites. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, the, the fine folk of Jericho have been impressed with Jesus' teaching and healing and all this stuff, and they know he's headed toward Jerusalem. They're thinking this is going to be a victory lap kind of a thing for Jesus. Jesus knows better. He's been warning the disciples all the way. We're, gonna, we're going into it. This is not going to end well. I'm going to die, and I know you can't get that, but that's what's going to happen. He told them repeatedly, but they couldn't get their own vision out of their head. Nope, you're going to go in and win the day, and we're going to be right there with you. So this crowd was following Jesus. Uh, this crowd of people who were from Jericho, they understood Jericho. Uh, they, were, they were celebrating him, and as Jesus is passing the gate, somebody nudges blind Bart and says, hey, that's Jesus passing by. And blind Bart somehow musters the courage to yell out, to take a massive risk. And he says, what does he say? Where is it? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And it's interesting here. Again, the English language doesn't help us here. Uh, there's a translation of the Bible that you can get online uh, for free with different Bible apps. It's called the Amplified Bible. It's real clunky to read for like this kind of a setting, but it's pretty cool because if there ever are uh, some Greek words that are especially challenging to translate into English, it'll give you some options. And you can see those different options reflected in different translations that you find. It's called the Amplified Bible. And so if there's one particular word that could be translated either way, that it, both are going to show up in that translation, which is kind of cool. And another thing it does is it gives you a feel. Our, our English language doesn't do this for us, but in the Greek language, you could, you could tell the tone of the language, what kind of passion was in the language based on the language itself. We don't really have that. We have exclamation points, and that's about as good as we get. You know, if you go to an Amplified Bible and read what this blind Bart is saying, he's saying, Son of David, have mercy on me now. 
now. Today, right now. I mean, it's bold. This beggar sitting on the side of the street waiting for people to come in. This guy says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me now to have the audacity to sort of demand it. Can you imagine what that had to take? And what does the crowd do? What do, what do the many do at that point? They get a little frustrated. They're like, shh, hush, 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 Bart. <laughs> Enough of you. I'll give you some bread later. Just, just quiet down right now. This is not your time. We're here celebrating Jesus. So just please, please keep quiet. Because that's what crowds do. Bart wasn't going to have anything of it. Uh, so he lets it out again. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me now. We'll get to what Jesus does in a minute, but I want to talk about the crowd because the crowd has been a part of the problem for Bart because the crowd has reminded Bart every day since he was blind, which could have been his whole life, Bart, you're blind. We all know what that means. So mind yourself because you depend on us. You can't survive without us. Just remember that. And actually, you know, it probably goes deeper than that. I think probably uh, the people of uh, Jericho, and I'm just guessing here, but if we could just be candid with them and get them to loosen up a little bit, I think, I think if we ask them enough and earn their trust, I think they might admit in different ways they were actually a little embarrassed of Bart. You know, they've got their big cheese here. This is Jesus, right? I mean, he's the guy. And we're just having this wonderful moment. He's going out of town. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And dang it, Bart has to, has to be Bart. Why can't he keep his mouth shut now? Of all the times, why can't he just keep quiet Bart, you're kind of an embarrassment. We love our city of Jericho. We tell the story of its walls and its crazy past and all that, and we've sort of inhabited and rebuilt it a little bit. And, you know, it's just, I don't know how to say it, Bart, but gosh, could you just find somewhere else? Do you have to be right there as all the tourists are coming into Jericho where everybody can see you and everybody can hear you beg. It just kind of reflects our, you know, our, our, our city poorly. You are not the image of who we are, really. And so just hush down, Bart. We don't, we don't really need that right here, right now. And I want to tell you that I think most of the time, uh, Bart, when he, would heard, when he had heard that most days, I bet he honored it. And I bet he just swallowed hard, knew that if he didn't, he wasn't going to eat. He wasn't going to get any kind of provision. And so he just took it. I just wonder what that does to Bart over time. When you're just constantly treated like your label and not as a human being. What does that do to a person? What is the crowd thinking to treat people with such inhumanity? And you know, the reason why I think that's probably what was going on is because that's what's always gone on. And it still goes on. 
We still do this today. We've gotten a little better at it over time. We're improving on this as we recognize our propensity toward identifying people with labels instead of their personhood, but we got a long way to go. Generally, the way it works is the people in power are the ones who decide who gets the label and who has to be treated like their label. And why is it that the people in power are the ones who do that? Because they can. So whoever that person is on top, they get to set the stage. They get to set the standard, which is why uh, we are still struggling to see gender equality. It's why we are still seeing uh, issues uh, in mental health, uh, because mental health still has a stigma attached to it. It's why we're still seeing an issue uh, with how we think of our homeless population. It's why we still have issues and we use the label of immigration and immigration status to define a person rather than uh, their personhood. It's why color of skin uh, still is an issue today, even though, <laughs> even though, you know, we should know better. These are realities that are still with us. And I'm wondering if we could learn something by taking a hard look at the people of Jericho and what it must have done to Bart when they chose the label over the person, especially when we understand the character and nature of God that loves everybody, how dare we? How dare we? How dare we say to those people, hush, 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 LBGPQ, <laughs> hush, hush, immigrants, hush, hush, women folk. Hush, hush, you who are struggling with mental health. Hush, hush. How dare we? And so we're going to take a deep dive and to look at how that happens and how it might get resolved from what we've known since. Because it is tearing us apart. Still, with all of our insight, with all of social media, we just found new weapons. Uh, to use the label game more and more and more. You know, Bart wasn't the only one blind in this story. Bart was blind literally physically, but that crowd, that many, they were just as blind to their own complicity in the pain of their problem. They could not see what they were doing to Bart and every Bart like him in Jericho. Well, there's one other character that was blind, and that would be Jesus, and that may surprise you, but he was. Crazy story. So Jesus evidently doesn't hear it the first time. Uh, Bart yells out, uh, son of David, uh, have mercy on me. Now, first time he doesn't hear it, but everybody's saying, hush, hush, Bart. And so everybody's getting kind of quiet. And what does Bart do? He blows it out again. He ticks everybody else off, embarrasses everyone. And that time Jesus hears it. And what does Jesus do? Does he just keep thinking, oh, I've got to make tracks, man. This is a one to two day journey uh, to Jerusalem. I just don't know if I have time for this. It's a reversal of the Good Samaritan story. Remember that story? A guy's going down to Jericho. Uh, two guys, religious people, don't have time. <laughs> and other reasons why they don't want to help the guy, on, why they don't want to help the label on the side of the road, right? And so Jesus is leaving Jericho, but he's not like He's not like those two religious leaders. He stands still. And instead of 
ignoring him, instead of rejecting him, he calls for him. What a contrast. So how is Jesus blind? Well, he's blind to the prevailing values and system of his day. He is making a decision to ignore, to turn a blind eye to the cultural mores that caused the problem in the first place. He was not going to see Bart as some blind embarrassment. He was seeing Bart or wanted to see Bart for the human being who he was. Bring him here. And then the next thing Jesus does is equally humanizing. So brilliant. Jesus asks what some of us might think is the stupidest question ever uttered. What do you want me to do for you? <laughs> I mean, come on. You're talking to a blind guy. Do you even need to ask, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that a classic example of a truly stupid question? <laughs> it sure appears so. It's what it would look like. Uh, when Jesus asked this question of Bart, guess who he's just giving power to? He's treating Bart like a human being. I'm not going to do for you. I'm not going to assume that I know what you want, Bart, because you're a real live human being and you have power over your situation. So I want to ask you, man, what do you want? What do you want? No attitude, just, hey, I'm here for you. What can I do for you? Now, what if blind Bart, you know, says to Jesus, ah, oh, thank you for stopping. There's this verse in Leviticus chapter 12. I've always wanted clarity on. Could you just help me out with this verse? And I'm good. <laughs> Wouldn't that be hilarious if it was just a Bible study question? Well, it wasn't. Uh, but it could have been anything. And actually that itself, it's, it's, it is empowering. It humanizes Bart. But the other thing it does is it gives him license to decide just what he's after. He doesn't go in and say to Bart, Bart, you've lived with this blindness a very long time. The snap of my fingers, I am going to turn you into your true self. The true self that's in there buried under all this humanity of yours and all this contextualization. And the snap of my fingers, you're going to be the new fully created self. It's going to be amazing. What do you say? Now, Bart probably would have some misgivings about that. He's not exactly sure what that's going to mean. I don't know exactly what that would mean. What if, what if Jesus you know, did that to me? Maybe I'd close my eyes one second, and I'd open up the next second, and I'd look in the mirror, and I'd look like Michelle Obama. You know, like, what? How do, that's my true self? Well, that's awesome, but wait a minute. How, what, what is happening here? Is, is my true self so different from what I thought I was? Because I kind of think it would be. I think if Jesus actually, uh, if God took us through the full healing process of everything to make us our true selves, I don't know if we could take it. And I don't know if we could recognize it. <laughs> I don't know if we'd recognize ourselves because of the enormity of things and changes that would take place. So he asked Bart, what do you want to do? And so Bart takes this massive risk. Can you recognize it as a massive risk? A massive risk after all he's been through, after he's been told just how worthless he is and how he should keep his mouth shut, now he has the audacity to say, well, I'm blind. I'd really like to see. 
And Jesus doesn't do what he's done in other spaces before where he spits on mud and makes some kind of weird paste and puts it on the guy's eyes and tells him to go wash it off. That's another story for another day that we've looked at. Jesus just simply says to him, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. You know, I'm old enough that when I was in elementary school, uh, we would have film strips. Do you remember film strips? And there'd be an accompanying uh, cassette player, right? And you'd hit the play on the cassette and the film strip would go. And when you'd hear the boop, then somebody hit the button to do the next film slide on the thing, right? And do you remember film strips? And remember you had to get the, the room real dark uh, so you could appreciate whatever was being cast. And as soon as the slideshow was over, the film strip was over, some kid, lucky kid, got to go turn on the light switch. Like that was a really big deal. And as soon as he did, what does everybody do? Ah, right, yes, yeah, it's this crazy thing. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what Bart went through when all of a sudden he could see? Talk about coming out of a cave into the light. Everything he'd forgotten, colors, images, people are all there in the highest depth that he's ever imagined. It's got to be humbling. It's got to be mind-blowing. I, I cannot imagine what he went through except that his only response in light of such grace, in light of such an experience of God, was to say to this Jesus, I'm following you. I am following you. Not just because he healed me, but because you healed so much more than me. By you being blind to the cultural mores right here, right now, you did more than heal me. You started something to heal the eyes of these people who have scorned me for so long. How can I not want to follow you? So many things happened in that one healing. Scholars say that at least according to Mark's gospel, this is the last disciple of Jesus. He's the last one to say, I'm going to follow you. Because the next thing they run into is Palm Sunday and all that happens after that. I don't know what's messing with you on this. I don't know who you're most identifying with today. Maybe you're blind Bart. Maybe somebody you love is blind Bart and your heart aches for them because you know the culture does not value them as their person, but rather identifies them, evaluates them on their label, which is just so against the nature of God. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you really resonate with the, the many, the crowd, and, and really are frustrated about how you see groupthink happening in our culture still, in today's world, still hurting entire people groups. Maybe if you're humble enough, you recognize your complicity. <laughs> you recognize that your voice has been a part of a crowd. Even if your voice was your silence when something needed to be said. You were still a part of a crowd that allowed. Or maybe you're just enamored with Jesus. And you're like, man, I want to be that kind of blind. That I am so convinced and convicted of the way of God, which is always, always toward shalom, about shalom, healing in every possible way. I want to be about that. 
And you say with Bart right now, I'm following you. Let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking you, uh, you who've already been present, who've been here with us before we got here, who welcomed us here, who is always with us, even if we don't know it, even if we don't believe in you, you are there. Every part of our being worships you, even if we don't even acknowledge you. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you, who is already within us, residing in us, working in us, to help us now. To help us identify which character are we identifying with? What, what is resonating with us today? Help us identify it so we don't forget it. Can you help us, Spirit, bu bubble up something in our consciousness so we can walk away with one or two things that we're like, oh, I need to think some more about this. Spend some time in silence. Can you identify it? Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm asking for more help. I'm asking for you to help us just have a hint. Just give us a, just one clue if we need it. Why is that thing that has bubbled up to our consciousness? Why, why is that the thing today? Why is that especially um, powerful today? Spirit, help us have words to understand why it might be relevant to us today. And Holy Spirit, if I could be so bold, in honor of Bart, can you help us with another thing? Can you give us some idea what we might do next with our thing that's bubbled up today for a very relevant reason? Can you help us, Spirit of God, to know what our next step should be to engage this thing? God, I am confident that we're not just one of these characters. We're all of these characters. That we find ourselves in each set. So I pray that through the next few weeks, uh, you'll help us go to the depths and fully appreciate what we see and what we see of them and ourselves. Let this series not be an opportunity for us to point out how everybody else is everybody else. But may this be an opportunity for us to go deep, to allow your spirit to really touch us, help us see ourselves for who we are, that we might actually begin to see. Toward that end, God, we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hope you had a good experience today. Thank you for braving the weather. You know what rain is, right? It's water. You did it, people. You made it through water. Thanks for being here. See you next week. <laughs>